0: You are now listening to Digital Doorways, where our audience learns from our expert guests as we explore their experiences with branding, transformation, and change. Unlock the digital doorways and embark on a journey of knowledge and growth. Now, here is our host, Blue Text founder, Jason Siegel. Welcome to Digital Doorways. Today, we are privileged to have a true visionary in our midst, Eric Jordan an award-winning creative force known for his unparalleled expertise in the highest of high-end creative direction, design and motion graphics. Without Eric, I don't know where I would be personally in my career. Nobody has had a bigger impact on my interactive creative career than Eric Jordan. In the most critical early years of my career, I visited Eric's website daily, hoping and praying for new work to inspire me. Eric blazed a trail of how the web should be designed. Over his remarkable 22-year journey, Eric has left an indelible mark steering the visual landscape into the future. His influence has felt across mediums from film, broadcast television, to virtual reality, electronic billboards, and video games. And as the former founder and president of Two Advanced Studios, a celebrated California-based interactive studio, and now operating as an international creative powerhouse, Eric has been at the forefront of shaping and visual narrative for major brands and Fortune 500 companies. Just a couple names of the global giants that have engaged with Eric. Adobe, Nintendo, Nissan, Activision, Warner Brothers, Google, Lexus, Marvel, Tesla, Boeing, so many more. He's been recognized by .NET Magazine as one of the world's top 20 international designers and honored by the FWA as a digital pioneer of interactive web design. His creative genius extends beyond boundaries, and today, we delve into the mind of a true visionary, exploring the evolution of design, the impact of his groundbreaking work, and the future of visual storytelling in the digital age. Welcome to this episode of Digital Doorways. Welcome to Digital Doorways, Eric. We are so proud to have you on the show. Oh, thanks so much, Jason. It's, it's awesome to be with you. Let's jump into it. My audience is going to be super excited to hear from this iconic designer and creative powerhouse. You know, over the years, how have you witnessed the evolution of visual storytelling and design overall? And what trends today stand out to you? Gosh, well, I've been, I've been in this industry for
1: almost 22 years. You know, it's, I've just seen huge epic transformations just in terms of, you know, the technology and it's changed so much and people's tastes have changed so much. Um, you know, I've, I've been creating for the web since pretty much the, the very start of the internet, you know, when it was basically highly uncool and you, know, you had to be a little bit strange, you know, because it was just so tough to use, you know, it wasn't like the how it is now. But, you know, I always saw the internet as kind of a way to tell stories and and to communicate with art and if you look back before like 2000 the internet was it was mostly like dial-up bbs boards and people using like ascii art and eventually we got we got to bitmap graphics and then i had started scanning my art digitally into um, graphics packs that we would put out um, through some underground art groups and that kind of started my my journey as an artist you know My first job was at 16. I was doing tech support at a local ISP. And I would kind of dabble in my off time building like web layouts and like, I think it was like Hot Dog Pro, you know, just these super bare bones HTML programs where everything was basic tables and frames. So it was, you know, just very rigid. And I was always looking for like, what's the next thing? Like, how do we push this further? And it got to the point where, you know, I was putting out my own art. And like PowerPoint presentations and I was basically compiling them like little films. And I was hugely influenced by comics. I wanted to tell stories like kind of in a comic book form, but like on the web somehow. And I felt a little bit stuck kind of at that stage. And then I think I was, I think I was 17 or 18 and then macromedia flash comes along. And when I saw what you could do with it just in terms of like graphics and the timeline and sound I was I knew that that was like my path. And so I started 2man Studios and that was I think I was 19 years old at the time. So I've seen a huge amount of change since then. And I built the studio when there were, there's like no rules. You know, there were no, there were, there was no instruction manual for how to build a huge website for a huge company with like hundred thousand dollar budgets, you know, I saw, I saw the web go from like super simple tables to like these full screen immersive experiences and to be part of like that whole transition. And, you know, I had a vision that the web could be like kind of like film, but you could interact with it and be totally immersed with it. And then, uh, nothing like that was being done at the time. You know, sites were, I think, running at like 12 frames per second with the early versions of Flash, and so things were kind of jerky. And I was kind of one of the first Flash artists early on to kind of crank the the timeline up to like 30 frames per second and to start to get things moving like faster. I, I think people were actually downloading some of the Swift files that we had up on the server and trying to reverse engineer the frames per second and how the animation moved across those frames to figure out how it was moving so fast.
0: Um, it was just, they were, I was, I was part of a little (laughs) hacker, little hacker group. We were, we were passionately watching your every move as you were trail trailblazing. It was amazing. And then there was, um, a time where we started
1: to, to pull in video clips, you know, we started to bring in, um, Video. We would actually export VFX from um, VFX programs and then bring it in as like image sequences, and nothing like that had really been done up to that point. So now it was starting to feel kind of like, you know, really immersive, and and that was all just new stuff at the time. It was it was um, something that got the attention of you know huge companies. They're like, you know, we we want to figure out how we can use this for our stuff, for our brands, you know, and that's when it just kind of exploded. And and I was right there kind of at that that intersection of time. Um, but then, you know, as time went on, we had, you know, huge setbacks. You know, we we had what I call kind of the fall of Flash, which was when Steve Jobs decided he didn't want to support Flash technology on mobile. And that was just kind of a major killer for storytelling because it was no longer easy for someone with kind of an artistic vision to put together like an interactive experience. that was like self-contained. So that was, that was a rough time, but but it was kind of a blessing in disguise for me because I got to take a a bit of a break. I'd been building sort of huge experiences for like 10 years and I got to return kind of to my roots, which is um, motion graphics. You know, that's kind of my original love. Um, So in terms of where we are now, there's kind of this agreement out there that the web has lost some of that storytelling energy like it did during during Flash's time. And so, you know, it's kind of strange to think, have we gone this far backwards in terms of the tools? Um, So thankfully, right now, there's a lot of people who recognize this and see the web as kind of too templatized and are asking, you know, how do we kind of return to that? And so there's all these awesome new technologies. I'm in talks with like the people at Rive and um, and Spline, and they're kind of trying to bring back some of that interactive storytelling, which, which I think is awesome.
0: Yeah, that brings back some amazing memories for me, as you definitely uh, came up with such a new breakthrough ways of, Grabbing people by the heart uh, and pulling them into the digital experience. And when I look at your client roster that you've been able to bless with your amazing design work, uh, I do see a little bit of overlap where we've both been blessed to work with Adobe. Um, yeah. But you've also worked with Nintendo and Tesla, and these brands they've got you know very distinct branding objectives, and they're looking for you to push creative vision in a big way real big iconic brands. How do you balance between this creative vision and meeting their distinct branding objectives?
1: Yeah. I mean, when you're working with large clients, it's always kind of a balancing act between, you know, you might have some creative concept or idea that you have in your mind, but then you have very realistic on the ground business goals of the client. You know, there's usually a lot of money at stake. There's a lot, writing kind of on the brand. And you have to design with that in mind. I, I always had to ask myself kind of one question on, on every project, no matter what it is. And that's, what are we trying to ultimately achieve, you know, on this project? And there's always some underlying goal that needs to be met, whether it's, you know, we've got to sell more copies of this video game, we have to generate more awareness or generate buzz. And so in the end, you're dealing with these real goals with you know huge budgets, and you can't just kind of be wishy washy and just try to create something that's cool, like in your own your own mind, something that's just cool to you. You got to remind yourself, you know, what is the end goal of this? I've got to sell more copies of this game. I got to generate more aw- awareness. Okay, got it. So, so how do I achieve that? You got to kind of get into the head of the audience versus your own head, and say, how do I? how do I appeal to this audience? You know? So what you do is you study the the demographic of the people you're trying to reach and you try to get inside their mind, you know, and how they think. And we had built a, like, we had built a project for Motorola once and the end goal was kind of to sell this certain model of this blue phone that they had, but it was, it was a phone that was geared towards like young women, like young girls. And so in that case, you can't do something that appeals to you, like you can't do some crazy futuristic sci-fi thing, you know, you got to get into the mindset of like a young girl to find out what they're into and how they think. And that takes a whole different creative approach where you got to think in in multiple dimensions. And so in the end, if you can kind of show the client that you can meet their objectives at the business level, there's a little bit of like a give and take and and they'll give you the freedom that you need to kind of push the boundaries within that. Um, with, given that you've shown that like you, you're going to put 100% of your focus on achieving the end business goal that they've got.
0: Yeah, definitely experience the same thing. You know, we're working with some major brands like IBM and the the weather company right now. And, it's really awesome seeing them give these just stunning visual identities, but they're always curious. What would you do with this? Would you push the boundary? And it's 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 great to have clients invite you to explore a push a little, a little evolution versus revolution. And then if they're not comfortable, they'll sort of dial it back um, as they go into full production. It's, it's always awesome to... Uh, Try to drive innovation, and I want to hear from you around. Can you share a project that epitomizes the innovative impact you strive for in your work? And you know, when we look at brands that you've worked with, like media giants like Warner, or innovative giants like Google, what's a project you'd like to share with us?
1: It's really hard to think of just one because there are so many projects where we are always trying to to push the boundaries of things, you know, it didn't really matter who the client was or how big their brand was. We were always trying to do new, interesting things, you know, that I can always remember that having huge discussions, like what, what kind of new thing can we add to this project? That's going to make it different. Um, Like um, I remember AOL came to us in 2001 and they asked me to build this prototype of like a future online shopping experience 20 years in the future. And I had designed this like full 3D environment where you could walk around and it was similar to what you would think of now as like the metaverse uh, where you walk around in a 3D space. But this was decades before this idea of the metaverse had even entered like the consciousness of the public. Um, And Mm -hmm. there's others like we built this online music app for Bacardi uh, that would allow you to literally like make music in your browser and and save it and play it back, and that had like never been done before at the time um We did a cinematic
0: that was, that was such that was such, such such brilliant work. I remember that Picardi oh. experience that was awesome, and the other interesting thing that a o l project we got hired for the same sort of thing to do the the twenty year outlook. I had no idea. Oh wow! I knew they had hired multiple agencies. I didn't know that that you were one of them. For us, it was the future of AOL Music and how you could move music from room mm. to room, which mm. was you know so breakthrough back then. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. we were in the same room and we didn't even know it. That's amazing. <laughs> Let's talk about some other pieces around like from Activision to Lexus your client list spans so many industries it's video games to high-end automotive how does working across so many different sectors influence your approach to these creative solutions
1: well i mean it definitely makes you more diverse in terms of like broadening how you tell stories you know and trying to like widen the scope of what you can do Because what works for one client almost never works for another client because there's so many different variables and you can't just apply like a one-size-fits-all strategy. Um, And we're kind of forced to approach each industry as like a different problem to solve. And this helped clients kind of trust us, you know, because we showed that we could develop something that would meet whatever goals we were targeting for whatever industry. But it all just came back to like understanding the audience. You know, when you're building stuff for Lexus, you have to be able to adapt to the mind space of the market and industry that you're working on. So you have to think in terms of for Lexus, like the frequency of like luxury. Um, And as, as a designer, this means like you've got to think about utilizing elegant type and fonts that kind of exude luxury. Uh, you've you've got to play with the white space and uh, you know there's a lot of little things like rule of thirds for building compositions that feel kind of expensive Uh, the pace of the animation is a little bit different and everything kind of has a certain feel that is targeted towards the type of person who buys that you know product Um, if it's something like call of duty you got to put your mindset into the consciousness of like a gamer and be able to understand that whole world and this gets into gamification, which was something we were kind of on the cutting edge of early on, early on uh, where we built multiple campaigns for Call of Duty that had all this you know customization and it just appealed to like the mindset of a the gamer mentality and how they like to do things so I think mainly you're trying to think like a high level like marketing executive versus just a designer. And, you know, I I was 19 years old and I was kind of pushed into that whole world and having to think at that deep level when most other people my age were just kind of like living out their teenage lives and having a ton of fun. And I was out there trying to like, you know, solve real world problems for huge clients for these different industries. And I'm just so grateful that I kind of got to be able to do that when I was so young,
0: you know? And to touch so many people's lives. If you talk to, I don't know, probably thirty-eight to forty-five-year-old uh, digital marketers, they know your name like they know uh, their family's names. You're, you know, it's <laughs> you shape the, the trajectory of the industry. And as a digital pioneer in interactive web design, how do you reflect on the changes in the space and your role in shaping its trajectory? Well,
1: you know i just I have like a deep sense of of gratitude you know when I look back at all the projects we got to work on and the amazing companies and just the people we got to work with you know i got I got to travel across the world and speak at you know different events and it was just kind of this amazing journey of watching everything evolve and transform and then go through you know some times of stagnation and then we come back and there'd be creative breakthroughs. And I was just lucky to be in a place where I got to show people kind of my vision for the way I thought that the web could be, you know, and and it resonated with people. You know, I, I can tell you just the amount of messages and letters that I received from people who say that it kind of changed their outlook or, you know, um, spawned their their entire career or, or new companies that came out of that, you know, it's, it's just amazing. You know, I, there's a friend of mine who um, we're working on a potential pro- project at the moment. And um, he told me one day that he had shown the two Advance website to Sid Mead, who is pretty much like the most famous neo-futuristic designer on the planet. This is the guy who designed the look of Blade Runner and Tron And apparently he was completely blown away by what a website could do in terms of how it felt like a film or like, you know, like a, like an experience. And he, I guess he kept reloading the website so he could watch it animate over and over and over, you know, and so, and for anybody who knows anything about sci-fi design, Sid Mead is like the master. So to be able to have that kind of influence and impact where someone that inspired me was in turn inspired by my by my work you know that's just that's just amazing
0: yeah well, i think it was v3 or v4 of two advanced when you came in with the uh these like amazing landscapes with that the centerpiece of the pyramid in the middle and just did that whole series with different uh vignettes to it was just mind blowing i think, I no, think one was was tra- doing, tra- no one was-
1: i think that was a tractor
0: a tractor, okay and then and then yeah. also didn't you do one with like a, a a logo builder like logo yes or something like that
1: logo yes yeah that was I, I an I incredibly incredibly difficult project to build just in terms of the action script and and everything that had to be yeah done and now today
0: like logo builders they're out there but you were you were literally decades ahead of the what where where we've eventually landed But I remember using that like, this is so amazing. I can't (laughs) believe these guys pulled this off. So cool. Let's talk a little bit more about your portfolio. Which project? You know, you got Nissan, Marvel, Boeing. What stands out to you the most? What was most personally fulfilling? Give us a little bit Mm -hmm. of the inside scoop.
1: I mean, I guess when you say what's the most fulfilling it would have to be the actual two advanced websites, you know. It wasn't the client work, even though I love that. There's, there's something I could where I could take the, create, the, like the creativity dial and just turn it up to like 100 without any limits, you know. So I think those were kind of the most fulfilling to work on because I knew that those sites really connected with other people, you know. And deep down, design is just like a conversation between people. You know, it's arranging things and elements in a way that kind of communicates your message um, and taking that from the screen and into their consciousness. And so to advance was kind of the most like unfiltered form of that, like for in terms of storytelling, because I wasn't tied down by like any, you know, business constraints other than just being able to show that we knew how to tell interactive stories, you know. Uh, at a business level, and it was
0: a it was it was it was a brilliant business move because you know usually it's the cobbler's kids have no shoes and the firm <laughs> right. doesn't have time to do their own site but you went right. all in on your site and man did it, that was the number one marketing vehicle it really just just sucked in traffic by the millions is ridiculous yeah yeah no
1: it, it was it was it, it was amazing because we didn't have to do any marketing after that point. And so that's just what yeah. we did. We just, we just put a hundred percent of our, my, you know, effort and energy into that, those
0: sites. Um, Rob I, Ford, I, he would, just, he would just scream your name.
1: <laughs> and I guess at a business level, you know, if I had to think about client work, I guess some of the most like satisfying work that I ever did was um, when electronic arts approached us and asked us to direct and build the opening motion graphics title sequence for the James Bond game from Russia with love. And this was sort of the first project that took me like way out of my comfort zone, which, you know, was interactive for the web and into like major motion graphics production. And what you have to understand is that like James Bond was like my favorite thing when i was like 12 years old it was the one thing that me and my dad could bond together was we would watch 007 films together and so ea basically put all their trust in us even though we hadn't designed like a like a uh, motion graphics sequence before and it had to have like a a Retro old Bond world feel, which meant I had to go way out of like my futuristic comfort zone that I tend to work in and like really broaden my voice. But I also had to learn 3D, I had to learn storyboarding, I had to learn compositing. And one of the biggest things was that I had to direct all the live action sequences of the Bond girls. Um, we had these Russian belly dancers we wanted to work into the sequence. And I got to direct all that on a live set and work out, you know, how everything was going to be worked into the sequence. And I remember sitting down to, to actually animate that trademark 007 gun barrel opening sequence. And just thinking back to when all my dad and I would just watch that sequence. And so I think that's probably why that's the most fulfilling, um, because I just I grew so much on that project, you know. Um when I started that project, I wasn't sure if I could even pull it off. But by the time it was complete and it was done, I I'd like grown on so many different levels as just as a designer and like a director and a and a creative. And so that's probably one of the one of the best for me personally.
0: That's awesome. That that, that reminds me when I hear that story of when the number 1 historic attraction in America George Washington's home called Mount Vernon it asked me to do their entire um web experience with this interactive planner to build your your uh your tour a custom tour and they were they're the most innovative museum out there and you know it is the number 1 in the in the country for visits and the amount of uh, passion personally and sleepless nights to just (laughs) keep one up for myself. I totally Mm -hmm. understand. And, you know, another Mm -hmm. museum that I want to bring up here is the web design museum. What does it mean to have your work featured in the web design museum and how does it echo your contributions to the overall digital world?
1: I mean, to be featured in in something that's considered a museum is just on a whole another level. You know, it, it, it's something that's there on the official record. It's set in stone. It can't be changed. You know, you were there, you showed up, you put in the work to, to influence things. You know, it, it's it's cool to be recognized with design awards. And those are awesome little reminders that you're trying to do your best to grow as a designer. But when it reaches like the level of a museum and being part of like that sort of documented history, and part of like the timeline, the actual timeline of the development of the web and how it all unfolded. And I'm, I mean, I just have such gratitude to be able to be a part of that. It's something that's just really precious to me, you know, and it's something that no one can ever take away from me.
0: Yeah. It's just so awesome. How much impact you had now, a lot of global brands are knocking on your door. How do you ensure these global brands, the designs you do resonate with this global audience, this diverse international audience, you know, brands like Google and Nissan you're developing mm-hmm. solutions for? What's what's the process here?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, designing for interactive at like a global level is kind of similar to designing for film. You're You're trying to appeal to like basic human themes that anyone can kind of connect with at like a basic, you know, human level, you know, the, there's ways to go at, go about it at like a basic level. And then there's ways to pre- approach it at like a deeper level, which is through like the study of like, um, like archetypes or like using symbolism. You know, I I do a lot of serious deep research into how to use l- archetypes And I love just kind of like the metaphysics of all that, like figuring out how to connect with people through messages that don't just resonate on the surface, but at some subconscious level, you know, at a more practical level, you try to work with like, you know, design principles that are sort of universal. but using universal language that appeals to everyone is kind of how you go about all that, you know?
0: Definitely. You know, we, um, personalization plays into this a lot. Um, We recently did a global telecom company's rebrand and website. And it's interesting when you deliver a global website of a technology company, the different continents, like, America's looking at 5G. Japan's looking at 6G. Africa's looking at 4G. Mm -hmm. So the personalization of the content and the imagery to resonate with that locale, uh, find that to be a really compelling part of one global platform, how it can customize and personalize itself for all these ICPs, the ideal customer profile. Um, Fascinating stuff. Let's talk a little bit about creative freedom. You know, with a history of founding and leading two advanced studios, how does being your own creative leader influence the freedom you have in your projects?
1: I mean, it comes with a lot of trust at the client level. You know, when you've shown that you can build projects at a high level across different industries you know it sets the bar pretty high and it shows that you've got a level of experience where the clients put their their trust in you in terms of what you can do as as a designer and this gives you the freedom to be able to do what you want to do as long as you're meeting that main business objective of the project um and then there's a level of like excitement that comes with um, the history of all these amazing projects under your belt, they're super excited to collaborate and to see what you can put together because you're bringing some of that create, creative energy to help them with their goals. And having that freedom is, is awesome because you, you, can, you can play a bit and you can try out things that you norm, normally wouldn't try.
0: Love that. My final question, is kind of a two-part, and I, I know there's, um, you know, I, I was reading some of your recent story of ach- hitting creative burnout and kind of moving away and getting kind of reborn to come back to deliver the next version of the two advanced site, and I, I was waiting in bated breath as a young 20-year-old for that to happen, and it, it definitely delivered. Um, but I think a lot of people like me and who have risen through the internet They're very curious about Eric Jordan and Two Advance. So there's a couple pieces here. You made it into the FWA's Hall of Fame for Two Advance Studios. And for anyone who's not on, who doesn't understand, FWA Favorite Website Awards by Rob Ford, which I've been a judge of for many years, is the iconic platform for recognition. What legacy does the studio hold? What happened to the studio and how does all of the learnings and everything impact your current endeavors and what you're delivering as a creative spirit? I mean, I'm just I'm so,
1: you know, I'm just so grateful that that Too Advanced is still, you know, respected and mentioned in, in design circles. I mean, that's so rare to be able to leave like a lasting impression on an industry. In that way, Um, it's just it's so meaningful, like a soul level as an artist, because, you know, I set out with a with a vision and I, I really wanted to shape like the future in some way. You know, I consider myself a futurist. And there's something in in metaphysics and alchemy that's called transmutation, which is the act of transforming like a base material into something that transcends its former form and to advance was a way for me to use storytelling to transform people's consciousness it's like a type of alchemy and not in like a business way but in like a real deep spiritual way and you know that that's what made it stand out from all the corporate design work that's out that's out there is that to advance has a creative energy about it. That's really unique. It's a very unique voice. And I think people pick up on it. And that's something that I try to bring to every project that I work on is a little bit of that toadman spirit. And so in that way, it, it'll always live on.
0: It will definitely always live on as anytime I interview young, talented designers, I always pull up some legacy to advanced work and say, this is what got me here as a three time exiting agency owner um, and this is what you you know this is this is where the bar is set and you gotta you gotta you gotta hit the Eric Jordan bar if you if you think you, you've made it if you haven't hit the Eric Jordan bar you haven't made it. Well Eric, I just want to thank you so much for one joining us on digital doorways and two having a profound impact on my personal career um, when you said you would be willing to go on the show that this was like This was one of the highlights of my entire year. So thank you so much. Uh, I'm sure my audience is going to be super pumped to hear this. And we hope to have you on a future episode. Thanks so much,
1: Jason.